Welcome to Bruin Success, where we talk to UCLA alumni and explore the many paths to success beyond UCLA. I'm your host, Katie Russo, and today I'm excited to be joined by Josh Arce, Director of Workforce Development for the City of San Francisco. Prior to his appointment by Mayor London Breed, Josh served as Director of CityBuild, San Francisco's landmark construction training program that has trained nearly 1,600 disadvantaged job seekers to become union apprentices since it was founded by then-Mayor Gavin Newsom. Prior to joining city government, Arce spent 15 years as a civil rights attorney and labor representative for Laborers Union Local 261, working with community members to improve employment, housing, and environmental conditions in low-income communities of color. Josh graduated from UCLA with a BA in political science and then earned his Juris Doctor from the University of California, Hastings College of the Law. Josh, welcome to Bruin Success. Thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to join us today. We're excited to chat with you. Thanks so much, Katie. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, of course. So to start, can you speak a bit about what your role entails as Director of Workforce Development for San Francisco and what's most challenging about your job and most rewarding? Thanks, Katie. And, and again, thanks for opening up the opportunity to, to connect with you and, and, and the alumni and the students. UCLA was just such an incredible opportunity for me to, to go to college. I was the first in my family to go to college and uh, certainly the first in my family to go to law school. But I never would have thought that I could be working in a, in a city like San Francisco, working for, for, for government, for our, our great mayor, London Breed, and helping to support workers during the, the greatest economic challenge of our lifetimes. And I think for many people going back more than a century at this point. And so the work that we do at the Office of Economic and Workforce Development, and my specific role is with respect to the needs of unemployed San Franciscans, San Francisco job seekers. Before the pandemic, it was really about looking at a booming economy in San Francisco, which was among the most booming of any city in the country and, and beyond. It was about looking at particular disadvantaged communities where we saw long-standing biases resulting in lack of access to the jobs and the wealth and the opportunities that were happening in our city. As Mayor Breed says best, so many people left behind during the, the boom years. Now it's about surviving the pandemic, recognizing that those barriers and biases that women, workers of color, limited English speakers, and so many others face in getting a chance to make it, to sustain themselves and their families and to find wealth and opportunity. Well. COVID-19, the pandemic just exacerbated those existing disparities. So my job is to help break down those barriers and come back even stronger during our economic recovery, both in San Francisco and certainly around the, the state and in and, and Los Angeles and all the great cities of California. Wow, yeah, your, your team is doing amazing work. And like you said, thinking about, you know, those who were already in need before the pandemic and how how the priorities, of course, have just heightened for certain communities and being able to support them through all this. Um, that's just amazing work that you're doing. 
So going back in time as a political science student at UCLA, did you always know you wanted a career in public service or law? I know that your career has spanned over, you know, different industries now. Can you talk a little bit about your um, kind of career path and what prompted you to pursue this work? I really didn't know what the future held for me. And I think that's probably the story for so many Bruins. You right. might have some ideas and, and I, I do look back and say when I started in 1993 from high school over to UCLA, I grew up in the San Fernando Valley, just on the other side of the mountains there. And I was involved in community service in my neighborhood. I was recruited by my high school government teacher, Ed Burke, to get involved in local community organizing and, and uh, working with the local Democratic Party. And so I came in politically involved, even had run for office when I was about 17 to, uh, to uh, just get involved. And, and you know, you're starting to come of age and you want to with your with your peers and with you, you see opportunities to engage and make change. I was I was drawn to that. And from day one, I was declared myself as a political science major, although not really known what that would mean, what the science part was in particular. But I think for me, I spent most of my years at UCLA having the greatest time exploring all kinds of different opportunities and subject matter. And I don't think I returned to political science classes for about two years, perhaps. I remember classes such as, uh, I'm going to be either nail it or miss it by a number or a letter, but I think it was maybe a ESS 117, Dinosaurs and Their Relatives. Oh, I just wow. loved the idea that I knew what a dinosaur was, but I didn't know they had relatives. I was just so into that idea and having the opportunity at UCLA to meet so many people from different countries, from different neighborhoods, all walks of life. Uh, my junior year and probably starting my sophomore year, I took every class I could from Professor Randall Johnson, who I know is still a leader within the Spanish and Portuguese department. I took all of his Brazilian culture classes, okay. uh, Brazilian film, Brazilian literature, and to have the chance to kind of pause on, on your life, especially when you don't know what the future holds and you have this sense that you have to go, 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 or you may have the opposite. You said, should I go, 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 because I don't want to. Well, you can take the time to explore. And, and like I say, it wasn't until my junior year that I really said, all right, I guess maybe I'll get back to the political science stuff and, uh, and heck, maybe go to law school. But I tell you, um, I walked past one, I was uh, just maybe a stone's throw from Powell Street and there was a sign that said, do you want to learn how to read this? And it was the Russian alphabet. And I said, wow, this is this would be kind of fun. I would like to read that and ended up taking about a year of Russian classes somewhere in the middle of that. And, and of course, by the end, did all my work to, to get the political science degree and, and, and go on to law school. But having the chance to, to take a pause, to explore, then come back to what you thought might have been a calling or a certain sense within your bones of what you wanted to do, but to explore. And I tell you, um, those classes I still use to this day, 20 something years later, probably 30 years later at this point, I went to Russia back in 2018 and, and was still able to speak with wow. the tools that I got through my um, 
courses with Andy Lanou was, was the instructor at the time. She's now a professor on the East Coast, but all those things stick with you. I, I was in Brazil in 2014 and got to ask folks about their thoughts on Makunaima, who's a, a folkloric hero that I learned about in Professor Johnson's classes. And, uh, and I tell you what, you make friends fast when you um, come from other countries and just ex expressing things you've learned that are so great about different cultures. So all of those experiences make all of us who we are. And I know for me, particularly in my time at UCLA and the ability to explore before coming back to political science, go and get in a law degree and becoming a civil rights lawyer, which is what I did first out of school was really, really part of, 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 of every day to this day for me. Yeah, that's, that's wonderful to hear. And I think your story of like the importance of that exploration, I think is so reassuring for so many, especially our current students who may be listening to this, um, to be able to take that time, like you said, to even if there is that initial spark, explore and take classes and all kinds of things because you never know what's going to stick and what will resonate with you. And I think even just to hear the learning that you have still been able to use and apply today um, from your UCLA education and from all the different people you've met and professors that impacted your life. Um, I think that's amazing just to remind people, you know, it's okay to be figuring it out and to take the time to explore um, and knowing that that path for so many is not linear, um, but that's kind of the beauty of it. So um, from your bio, I know that you also have founded a civil rights nonprofit in 2005. Can you tell us more about your nonprofit and what inspired you to start it? Um, and I'm also curious what's been most challenging about leading this entity. For me, when I was approaching graduation at UCLA and I had spent a good couple of years in, in, in my sophomore and junior year exploring other opportunities. I took a class with former governor and, and candidate for president, Michael Dukakis, who had just started teaching classes at UCLA. And, and I remember getting to know him and even bumping into him. He used to like to take walks uh, down on Wilshire and, and the various parks you could find him. And he'd always be whistling. And if you, if you heard the whistle, you said, that might be Governor Dukakis. Uh, <laughs> taking a stroll. He was really getting to, to, to enjoy the, his time at UCLA, just really starting then. And, and I remember talking to him and getting to know him. And, and I had kind of now gotten focused on political science. I took his class in my senior year. And he said, so what are you, what are you going to do? You had this uh, great uh, experience. You started, you were politically involved, and then you took dinosaurs and the relatives, Russian and uh, I was taking a Mandarin Chinese class at the time. And, and I said, well, now I'm, I'm gonna focus. I'm, I'm gonna go to law school and I'm gonna go out there and I'm gonna work as an attorney and, and maybe get politically involved again. And he said, slow down, man, you, 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 you got time. You can think this through and you can, you can pace yourself and you, and you can absorb. And, and so uh, I, I, I did say, I, I like that idea, but I'm still, I gotta go to law school. I gotta, I gotta get my law degree. I gotta go, go, go. And when I got out of law school, I did go straight from undergraduate to law school. People always say, don't do it. I say, don't do it, but I did it. It was also part of just also growing up in a, in a hardworking household. My, my father was a police officer. My mother worked in the trades. Nobody had gone to college. Uh, in the case of my, my dad's family, they, uh, his, his, 
his dad's family had come up from Mexico and, and, and worked starting in fields. And he was at the time working as a janitor in his 60s and in all the way he, he passed recently, but he worked until he was about 83 wow. sweeping floors. And it was this ethos of go to college. All right, you got your college. Now go to law school and not really understanding why, but but keeping forward and 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 advancing and trying to figure it out as you go. And so what I found when I got out of law school was I found out of law school that when I when I got out, I explored different ways to, to practice law. But you see Hastings here, a big fan of the University of California system. Yep. And I was in San Francisco where Hastings is located right in the heart of the Civic Center downtown. And I got out and, and everyone in my family had said, are you going to make a lot of money now? Are you going to go out and get a big lawyer job? Do you need a briefcase? And all of these things that I think, especially with um, immigrant families have this ex experience of the lawyer is the, that's it. You're there and you have a, you have your briefcase and you've got all these things. And I said, well, actually, no, I'm going to, I'm going to go help people stay in their homes because they're evicting a lot of people right now around San Francisco it was the first of a start of a, a boom and bust that we have obviously everywhere every city has boom and bust but San Francisco has big booms and big busts and in 2000 2001 was a really really big bust the, it was the first burst of the tech sector bubble and so lots and lots of vulnerable families and and workers and individuals who were losing work were, were, were getting evicted. And so I told my family, I said, I'm gonna help uh, defend tenants who are getting evicted so they can stay in their homes. And the question was, is, is there any money in that? And I said, well, quite honestly, no, because I'm, I'm doing it for free. And they thought I was out of my mind, but it was for me a kind of, as we say, UCLA providing the ability for Bruins to explore all facets of who they are and what they want to be and what they want to do. For me, it was a full circle type of thing that I said, you know, you've, you worked hard and, and wanted me to go to college and I didn't really know, know why. And when I asked my parents, they weren't really sure either. It was just the thing to do. And I said, maybe the next generation, maybe my kids will be the, the go, 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 make, make a lot of money and, and do all these things. And I've, I've got two, two children now nine and five and maybe that'll be their calling but both for me and also for for my wife who's an immigration deportation defense attorney it's it's for us about really being part of a community and looking after one another so a civil rights nonprofit for me was the natural extension of my work and i and i say that because when i got out of school law school that is and went to practice law 2001 to 2005 i worked doing eviction defense and then got into defending workers, individuals who'd been laid off at work, um, faced discrimination in the workplace on the basis of race, gender, harassment. And what I found was the laws have been so watered down for worker protections or tenant protections or really defending and, and supporting our most vulnerable individuals in society waves and waves of court interpretations have really watered down important institutional civil rights laws and other protections that are in place. And I said, gosh, at some point, these 
we've got to get better laws. We've got to get stronger laws again. And I founded a civil rights nonprofit, Brightline Defense, in 2005, having just worked for many years on an employment discrimination case. And when the legal fees came in and we settled the case on behalf of the client, I said, you know, now it's time to get some better laws. And that was what we sought out to do. And it took lots of twists and turns over the next uh, six to seven years. Wow, there's so much in your response there that I think people can resonate with. I mean, for me, even for, I can resonate with your, what you would, had shared about. Um, I'm also first gen in my family to go to college and did the same thing. I went to grad school right away. And I say the same thing to people. I say, take some time. You don't have to go right away. Um, that's just what I did. But I think similar um, to what you were saying, there was definitely that like work ethic instilled and, and I would write like, go to college, you're going to get a good job and go from there. Um, and I think what you were even sharing about just the kind of idea, right? Like a, a lawyer, like you, it's, it's one of those jobs growing up. I feel like you have like the doctor, the lawyer, the teacher you hear, and there's this idea of what that looks like, feels like, like you said, the briefcase, everything about it. You're like walking into the courtroom. Um, but I think it's really neat to hear how even in that, like even as a lawyer, you were able to find the specific area of law or the specific gap where people weren't being served as, as best as they possibly could and be able to kind of lean into that work to really support those, like you said, the most vulnerable populations and communities that really need that support from someone looking out and seeing the ways that they're being overlooked and um, laws are not, you know, being uh, fairly executed for them and things like that. So I think that's really an inspiring to hear. Um, so can you talk a little bit more about COVID's impact on your work in workforce development um, for San Francisco? And what are some of the key priorities for your team, like as a result of the pandemic moving forward? Before COVID-19 hit, we saw an unemployment rate in San Francisco that many people thought was impossible. And that's less than 2% unemployment. To have 1.8 and 1.9% unemployment, to have uh, just about a three-year run of unemployment below 3% is almost statistically impossible. Right. And we had a low unemployment, generally speaking, in California. Los Angeles had, has had, before the pandemic, low unemployment. San Francisco has had such a boom that the thought was some would call it full employment. And that's not exactly true because that 1.8, 1.9% unemployment, you also see is much higher in the African-American community of San Francisco with respect to women, with respect to limited English speakers. Uh, you look at statistically um, Latino and API uh, workers and, and community members in San Francisco may ha not have the same unemployment rate as, say, Black San Franciscans. But when you look at individuals in the city who are working but may not have federal work authorization, the employment rate goes up too. Older adults facing ageism and ableism and, and, and biases, there's plenty of areas where individuals were left behind. And it was my charge when Mayor Breed appointed me to 
take the work that we were doing when I did have the chance to go into government from doing civil rights work and, and, and political involvement with the local Democratic Party for a certain number of years when our late mayor, Mayor Ed Lee, brought me in to run this city bill job training program not, not long before he passed away. Mayor Breed becomes mayor in the summer of 2018 and she told me she wanted to do what we were doing in construction for all the industries of San Francisco. She said, I want this intentionality of going deep to find those households, find those men and women who are, as she says, being left behind and let's bring them into the tech sector. Let's bring them into healthcare. Let's bring them into the hospitality industry and let's find other emerging opportunities such as advanced manufacturing so that we can look at areas where community members have said they feel left out and where we can see that statistically data we get from the census economic surveys can tell us, yes, it's true. They are being left out and let's do something about it. It was important for me not only having an opportunity and, and benefiting from affirmative action policies that it was part of my experience at UCLA when we saw those institutions eroded. We saw 1996, I was a sophomore, uh, I was a junior in fact, and it was when ballot measure Prop 209 was on the ballot to eliminate the ability for government to consider race gender, ethnicity as a consideration in government decision-making. And we fought against that and we saw what the impact was these years later, which is a more baked in series of biases with respect to race and gender. And so fast forwarding now to that experience, I, I am working with other colleagues. We've got Bruin Eric Shaw, who's our amazing director of the mayor's office of housing and community development fellow Bruin we learned that in our first get to know each other conversation we found that we were also both there when a, a big rally took place down at Wilshire Boulevard to protest Prop 209 in 1996 and, and, and knew some of the same people so together director Shaw and I during COVID are about addressing the fact that unemployment or homelessness or being underhoused or in some cases barely paying the rent during the COVID-19 pandemic, everything's at a whole other level. Unemployment went within a matter of three months from 1.9% to 12.6% in San Francisco. That is the highest level of unemployment ever recorded in the city's history of recording unemployment in that way month to month. And to this day, we've had some ability for folks to get some employment and essential services and, and, and keep working or some people we don't count simply because they've stepped away from the labor market and because of unemployment or savings or other relief programs that we offer through the city and county, they're, they're surviving. But uh, even then, 6.4% of, of, of San Franciscans are looking for work but not working, which is again, um, nearly four times that of just a year ago. So for us, whether it's helping people to survive through supportive services, job training through our department, the Office of Economic and Workforce Development has a, has a terrific director, Director Joaquin Torres, who's not, not a Bruin, but a, a, a California University graduate and just a stellar 
stellar leader that we have in San Francisco. I work with him to support the uh, workers at the small businesses who are both suffering. So there's business relief programs through our economic program and there's um, resources through our workforce division. Again, training, supportive services, employment referrals. And so what we're doing is working together to make it. Director Shaw working on rental relief programs, working on subsidies and vouchers to help people survive. The thought is that we do all these things now in San Francisco and we learn from Los Angeles. We get on calls with, with um, leaders from, from Los Angeles city government and, and, and state officials under the leadership of the governor who's our former mayor. And we look at what are the elements of stitching together the, the triaging that happens now and the, the work of supporting for survival, but that we don't lose our ability to come back even stronger during our economic recovery and thinking a step ahead of what vaccination will mean and what reopening can do to get workers back to work, to get businesses reopening and to start rebuilding our economy. Doing so, of course, more equitably. That's the opportunity for us and why I'm grateful to be in this position here with having experienced really, I think for, for folks in, in, in my generation who came up and especially if you benefited from affirmative action programs and saw them eliminated. In my case, I was the very, uh, just about the very last class that was able to have diversity as a consideration in, in opening up opportunities for UC education. Now we have the ability to rebuild and to look at where those biases are, to look at the fact that if we don't with intentionality identify where there is segregation on the basis of gender and gender identity, such that in San Francisco, there's a statistic that it, it will take several hundred years at the pace that we're going to reach gender parity, where women make the same wage as men for the exact same work in a, in a city like San Francisco. And again, we've talked about unemployment with respect to black San Franciscans being nearly two and a half to three times that of the citywide average and all these other disparities. Now is the chance, as we say, to, to come back even better and more equitably. And those are the tools that, of course, my experience at, at UCLA, I carry with every day. Wow, that's, that's amazing to hear all the initiatives that your organization is working on. I think so exciting too, and how um, cool to hear the work that you and um, Director Eric Shaw, fellow Bruin, are able to collaborate on and all those programs that you're working on too. Like you said, I think being as thoughtful even in this crisis to think about not only the short term, you know, how can we help and, and delivering resources and meeting immediate needs for people, but also like you said, how can we come back more stronger, more equitable and looking at the future and what you're creating to build back? Like I think you, you were sharing about, you know, the different factors or um, biases in the systems and how are we evaluating those now to be able to look at the system after this and, and that it is a better structure for all, not just those that are from more privileged backgrounds and things like that. I think that's just incredible. Um, so one of my other questions is, what's the best piece of career or life advice that you've received from someone? I shared some of the advice that I got from instructors at UCLA around 
whether it was Professor Dukakis saying, slow down, <laughs> take your time, um, advice from Professor Johnson, which is see the world. Um, I was desperate to be able to have the, uh, a career where I could save some money and go see other countries and, and, and take that advice. It was, Brazil was first on my list, but it, it took me about 12 years to get there, but I was so happy to, to be there and to um, look back at the, the classes I had the opportunity to take. I um, really feel that the conversations I had was, was um, working with um, Latino leaders and organizers at, at, at UCLA who, who brought me in and, and recognized with, with my family having a, a diverse set of experiences that led them to this country. My mom's family came, came over from Sweden from a remarkably similar type of, uh, of, of a, a farming community where my dad's grandfather and, and, and his family had come up from in Mexico and really connecting with um, and realizing how uh, with with no disrespect to the to the the, the Swedish uh, family members here in my family, but just that there was this um, consciousness that was just ready to wake up for me in terms of the customs and and traditions that my dad had carried forward and, and from his family with respect to food and composting and respect for for the the plants and the trees that grew the fruit that we'd pick and come back and, and eat. I, I really enjoyed connecting and, and in time had the great pleasure of working with civil rights icon Dolores Huerta and her work to, to establish the farm workers when I got to know her and work with her here in San Francisco and in the Mission District where, where, where I live and where my family resides. Um, she told me once, she says, you know, you're, you're exactly what we wanted. We wanted to be able to support farm workers who are out there bending their backs. And in my case, my grandfather and his family picking walnuts. She said, we wanted, we wanted people like you, Joshua. She, she said, we wanted to send our kids and our grandkids to college and get law degrees and come back and fight. And so that was a, a connection at UCLA that was really encouraged to really get involved and really identify um, and, 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 to promote and and to utilize that that really an, an ancestral experience with my work and I and I and I do so to this day. It was uh, for me the resounding notion of open your mind. Don't rush through the experience. Enjoy every day because you'll look back in four years or in case of some of my friends five six or seven years. At UCLA, it'll it'll go by like that, and you'll look back and you'll say, "I I had more time than I thought to take more time to 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 veer off to take uh, ESS one seventeen dinosaurs and their relatives." And I tell you, I if I if I think about, it, there's probably a few more of those. And I look back and said, "How did I? Uh, I took I took a French class, and and that was." That was great. And then you look back and you said you were you still had all the time to do all the things that you were, quote, supposed to do to get your degree and to specialize and, and allow yourself to take 
twists and turns. I, I got to take an atmospheric science class and learn about uh, how the sun bounces off the ground and all that. You really got to be able to to do that and explore the, the nooks and crannies of UCLA. You think of there's so many ways to get lost in all the different great twists and turns. And we had the, the film lab at one time. I all of a sudden learned that you could go and watch any movie there. If you wanted to take a break, you could get a headset and, and sit there and watch a film. So really the advice that sticks with me from UCLA is take your time. Don't rush it. Allow yourself to experience, to open, to explore. And that really is where you're going to get to the place you need to be. That experience will guide you to where you're meant to go. Yeah, absolutely. I think that advice is so powerful and so important because I think everything for so many, I think growing up in society kind of encourage us, encourages us, right, to like you said, those things we're supposed to do, you know, you go to, go to college, go to school, you get your degree, you hurry, get out, get a job. Like if you don't get a job quickly, but I think your point about just taking your time and enjoying the experience and being in the moment and enjoying all that comes in the moment, um, is so valuable. I think, especially for our current students listening and even young alumni that feel, especially right now that are still job searching and figuring things out in this crisis and in knowing that they're not alone and, you know, things will, things will align, but to not rush that process. Um, I think that's just such valuable advice. So my final question um, is since leaving UCLA, how has your career and life experiences shaped how you define success? Oh, that's a good question. I think there's probably plenty of students, not every student, but I'll say plenty of students who define success financially. I think that's, there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's to be expected. I think especially because I know that when I was going through school in the late nineties, there was a um, sense that it was expensive to live in Los Angeles and I imagine there's some of the same dynamics as there was in the mid nineties. It was, are you going to live in Westwood? No, I'm going to move to Palms. No, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to Venice. Like, wow, that's a long commute. Yeah, but it's Westwood's pricey. Right. You know, and, and we got a, uh, we had an apartment, uh, my best friend growing up actually, since I was seven years old, uh, his name is Paul Kim. We met in elementary school. We got to live together in college with a couple other friends, Nick Golding, class of 99, I wanna say, and Jeff Hoya, class of 97. We all lived over there on Kelton, and our rent was $1,800 a month for a two-bedroom apartment, and we thought we were not even gonna buy food and live off of ramen and such at uh, $450 a pop for splitting these rooms up with, with one another. So I know it's, I'm sure it's a factor of several, several times that at this point in San Francisco, there's been times as, a, as an adult here that we've been the most expensive city in the country. So we are in a different phase right now because I'm sure Los Angeles, like San Francisco, the cost of living has, have, has come down a bit, rents have come down, but it hasn't really impacted the cost of home ownership 
And so I think for a lot of individuals in terms of paying off your student loans, paying your rent, creating savings, buying a home can create a lot of anxiety. And I would expect and, and, and not begrudge anyone who defines success as financial success, because it's not at this point only about success, it's almost about stability. And in my case, I think for me, I came out supporting myself through working during school and, and loans that I still carry to this day uh, between UCLA was and remains a tremendous value as the top public education institution in the country. Right. That is a tremendous value just as it was when I was there and certainly today. Law school, again, value, but expensive when right. I was going through and even more expensive now. So again, for us doing public interest work that want to do that work, we really have to support one another. I was, um, when I ran our nonprofit before I went into San Francisco government, was working with our law school to have a fellowship through the U University of California and providing resources to help relieve the financial burden because otherwise you can't do public interest law. You can't do the type of community service work and pay your bills and survive. So I do think when you ask me about what, what, how you measure success, if you, if you stay focused and prepare yourself for a degree of struggle, with whatever you want to do, that's going to happen. The struggle can be if you're going for that uh, that really high paying job that's out there in, in careers and, and finance. When I was at UCLA, there was talk. I had no idea what this work was, but people were saying there's the recruiting investment bankers. And I had I said, what's an investment banker? Is that like the when you go to Bank of America and, and you say, I'm, I want to invest 50 bucks? And they said, no, that's, it's, it's high flying, it's big money, it's all these things and you should check it out. Right. And uh, so, okay, well, yeah, sure, why not? You go there and you realize there's tons of folks, very competitive. There's a certain vibe that wasn't my vibe, but hey, it's all good, yeah. no problem, just not my thing. You're not gonna get that money without navigating and, and making certain concessions and feeling a certain way and, 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 and immersing yourself in that energy. You could go to where I ultimately went, which was helping people stay in their homes and helping people who lost their jobs get get a, a fair compensation and, and seek justice. Um, you're going to make a sacrifice in a different way, which is financial. But one way or the other, you have to prepare yourself for the the struggles that come with the early days of building your career, and there's it's to be expected. And in my case. I did work for many years. There was a time even the state of California would send me letters saying, um, you need to show us all of your uh, books and materials and such because it shows you only made $15,000 a year and there's no attorneys in California that make $15,000 a year. The average attorney makes $150,000. So either you forgot a zero or you're not telling the truth. And I'd say, well, I, I'll, I'll, I'll show you. Right. It was about learning and about getting a footing. And, and of course, the bills accumulate, uh, the, uh, the student loan bills, that is, accumulate and, and pile up. But I'll tell you what, um, you prove yourself. Um, 
You, I worked for the Laborers International Union, which represents the lowest paid workers in construction. They brought me in and that was the, the first time since I worked at grocery stores and stuff that I worked for uh, and somebody worked for an organization and it was the first time that I was felt recognized or um, a degree of respect for the work I was doing and started to be compensated as, as, a, rep, as a labor organizer and, and rep and attorney and advocate. And, and from there you then, uh, that can happen late because for me that happened probably at the age of 32 that I was able to actually uh, you know, put together an income to, to be able to have stability. Sure. Uh, our, our late mayor, Ed Lee, brought me into government, provided further opportunity that, that our current mayor, London Breed, promoted me to the position I'm in now. And along with that comes stability. We've been able to buy a home here in the San Francisco Mission District. And for my wife, who's a, a lecturer in law now, having gone from private practice, she's now a lecturer in law at a private university a little bit south of here. Red is the color, <laughs> some would even call it cardinal. Um, that's all good. But we're able to have a degree of financial stability, even savings and even income and, and ability to buy a home here. And that wasn't the original plan, but it worked out that way. So I do think you have to really focus on virtuous objectives. I'm not saying financial success is not virtuous. It certainly is. And certainly now I think it's tied to survival. But there's also a path to focusing on your, your worldview, your, your philosophical goals, your, your commitment and your drive that you might say, I can't do that without compromising my own financial existence or, or ability to, to get by. But there is a way. Things work out. And connecting with others and utilizing the alumni network at UCLA and connecting with peers, that's really, really the way to go, I think. Yeah. Wow, there's so much in, in your answer there about measuring success and what that looks like, Josh, that I think is such um, just valuable points of insight for those listening. I think, like you said, um, the theme of preparing for a degree of struggle, no matter what you're doing is, is so important, knowing that there's going to be, you know, those, those obstacles along the way and just mentally preparing yourself for those that any career is going, you're going to experience that. Um, and I think, like you said, really focusing on, you know, what you're willing to compromise and what you're willing to sacrifice when it comes to, you know, the work that you value and what you're really passionate about, um, and I think, you know, your point as well in thinking about success really look really meaning more stability, right? Like what are those things that allow you that stability and to feel content with how the things in your life are aligning and what that looks like. So um, really appreciate, you know, that answer and thinking about success just in a different way. I think, like you said, philosophically and really taking a look at yourself um, and how you're also showing up um, and, you know, working on yourself to align yourself for different opportunities. I think that's, yeah, great advice. Well, I, I, thanks for that, Katie, because I also think along with that part and parcel, Randall Johnson over there at the, uh, you know, the great work he does with the Spanish and Portuguese department, see the world. Cause when I came back to UCLA, I, I spent a lot of time there this summer after going to law school and, reconnected, uh, hadn't seen for about a year, a uh, good friend named Elton Wong, class of 1998, and he had 
just come back from France where he had fallen himself into the World Cup at that time. And that became for for Elton and I, that became the path for me. And he he was telling that story actually there in Sproul Plaza. And we said, well, let's let's go to the next World Cup and let's let's keep doing that. Um, we, we weren't able to go in 2002, but he and I, fellow Bruin, have been to every World Cup the past oh 12 years at this point from That's so cool. Germany. Yeah, yeah, Germany. Wow. And, and the whole goal, as I said, that it was around this time they were announcing Brazil. And I thought, well, you know, there, there, there it is. I'll be able to use the all the stuff I learned <laughs> from um, uh, the, the Brazilian film and, and literature classes that, that we took. And it, it took a bit. 2006 was Germany. 2010 was South Africa. And we got to go to Brazil in 2014, Russia. Wow. And, 2018 we'll be getting ready for Qatar here in about a year and a half the end of 2022 but again see, seeing the world and that was something that UCLA is a, a worldwide recognized institution yeah. apart from everything that we talked about about the individual and focusing and right. realizing your goals opening yourself up to those experiences that you can receive anywhere and everywhere around the world was another lesson that, that came directly from from UCLA and specifically from Professor Johnson. Yeah, that's amazing. And what a what a neat tradition to have with a fellow classmate. Um, that's so cool. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Josh, for your time today. I really enjoyed our conversation and just feel really inspired by the amazing work that you're doing in San Francisco um, and just wish you all the best um, in your continued endeavors. And thank you for all that you do for UCLA and the community of San Francisco. Thank you, Katie. You've been listening to Bruin Success. Our guest this week was Josh Arce of the city of San Francisco. You can find more information on Josh in the description of the episode. Follow UCLA Alumni Career Engagement on Instagram and Facebook to keep up with Bruin success. If you enjoyed our podcast, subscribe to it, tell a friend, or share your support on social media. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time when we're back with Ann Wang of NRU. This podcast was made possible by UCLA Alumni.